On this Good Shepherd Sunday, we read together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So Jesus would have learned that psalm in Sabbath school when he was a little boy, and like our own third graders, he would have known it by heart. He would have memorized it. And so it became integral to his own self-understanding as he grew into who he was to become under God's leadership. He describes himself as the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, our Gospel lesson. He alludes to his distant ancestor, King David. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you noticed on social media how many people are setting up their home offices in their bathrooms? It's all over the media. They take their laptop in there and maybe a plant and some other pleasant accoutrement and use the vanity as a desk. That would not have been my choice, but these home workers explain. They say, I have a job. I have kids. This is the only room in the house that locks. Plus, the lighting is good. The podcasts I listen to are being produced at home. The Moth, the TED Radio Hour, terrible, thanks for asking. Now, maybe they send a sound guy over there to help, and he helps Nora McInerney set up a crude sound booth in her closet with pillows and blankets and plywood and cardboard to get the desired acoustic effect, but sometimes you can hear children crashing and banging and dogs barking in the background. Even that internationally renowned podcaster, Christine Hydes, sends out her messages from her closet. It's tough to get any privacy these days when you're sheltering at home with the whole family. You saw Stephen Colbert's dog, Benny, leap into his lap right in the middle of the late show. We're experiencing a lot of unfamiliar intimacy these days. Some people are predicting a baby boom in December, corona babies. Others are predicting an epidemic of COVID divorces. Divorce divorce lawyers say inquiries are up 50%. 
Ironically, the coronavirus is afflicting the human, human family with twin but opposite maladies, overcrowding and loneliness. Now, if your problem is the former, overcrowding, I don't have much help for you. Just be patient. You love your children. Don't put them up for adoption just yet. But if your problem is the latter, loneliness, if you're weathering this quarantine alone, the Bible has a lot of sucker to offer you. Last week, I noted that even before this pandemic, there was an epidemic of loneliness in America and abroad. More Americans than ever before, 35 million, live alone. 28% of American households have just one person in them. Now, this doesn't surprise us if we think about the convulsions of our brave new world, right? We are marrying later in life. I was 23 when I got married. My son was 31. That's a sizable window of eight years of potential aloneness. He and I are paradigmatic of our respective generations, boomer and millennial. And even though a 31-year-old is presumably wiser and more experienced than a 23-year-old and therefore more astute about choosing a life partner, it continues to be true that almost half of all marriages end in divorce. This virus of loneliness is opportunistic. It is happy to jump into that relational breach. All the lonely people, where do they all come from, asks Paul McCartney. That's where. We're having fewer children, and when we eventually get around to having them, we are older. No one to take care of us when we get old. We live in a very mobile society. Once upon a time, Americans expected to be buried in a cemetery within walking distance of the hospital where they were born. Many of us had lifelong neighbors. My wife and I have lived in eight homes in five states. And your story might be even more peripatetic than mine. Once upon a time, there was a covenant of loyalty between employee and corporation. Some of you have been able to find only one job in your entire life, but you held on to it for 40 years. Now we have freelancers in a gig economy who might be in several workplaces every year. Almost half of all Americans describe themselves as lonely. 13% say that they have exactly zero people who know them well. 41% of Britons say that their best friend is the TV or a pet. 41%. Now, not all of them are lonely, of course, right? It's important to distinguish between aloneness and loneliness. I love the way one therapist puts it. She says that loneliness is a lack, an absence, an emptiness, a need. There's something missing. But aloneness, others might use the word solitude, aloneness is a presence, a fullness, a joy, an aliveness. You are free. You are autonomous. You don't need anybody else. You yourself are enough. Not all people who are alone are lonely, but it's likewise true that many who are surrounded by good people all the time feel unknown, unseen, and under-companioned. Judy Garland was surrounded by paparazzi and adoring fans wherever she went, 
But she once said, if I am a legend, why am I so lonely? I wonder if Taylor Swift ever feels lonely. I was thinking about the kinds of folk who are particularly vulnerable just now. People who once used computers at the library to keep in touch with the world, but now all that's cut off. Residents of retirement facilities where there haven't been visitors for six weeks. Deaf people who used to read lips at the market or on the bus, but not now. Persons on the spectrum, the socially awkward, the eccentric, the odd. It's a miracle that Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory is not lonely because with his obsessions and compulsions, he lives on a different planet from the rest of us. I've told you before how much I appreciate that Netflix show Atypical about a teenager, a high school student named Sam. He's on the spectrum. He comes from this wonderful family who nurture him and take care of him. He has loyal friends. He is much loved. But Sam is obsessed with Antarctica. And he will tell you everything you never wanted to know about penguins. These kind of folk don't know how to copy well-worn customs or put on popular styles of life. These people were distant from us, mostly misunderstood by us, largely inaccessible to us, even before quarantine. Last week I told you about a 39-year-old woman who has lived alone for 16 years, most of her adult life. She says, I don't have a partner, I don't have a pet, I don't even have a plant. It feels as if I am disappearing. I, she just nailed the harrowing phenomenon of loneliness, didn't she? She has a great job at Princeton University. She is surrounded all day long by smart, kind people. But she's disappearing. We feel lonely if we feel unknown, unseen, unhappily secluded within the quarantine of our own inescapable, opaque uniqueness. Does anybody even know my name? Does anybody even care? And so if even a fraction of what I've just said is true, how fortunate for us to hear about the Good Shepherd on the fourth Sunday of Easter every year. We hear from Israel's King David and from David's distant descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, David Redux. Both able poets tell us that there is someone who sees you. There is someone who knows you through and through. There is someone who knows your name and will never forget. What's the most famous and beloved passage in the history of Western literature? Is it the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm? The shepherd's always there providing sustenance for you, hydration for you, a secure and pleasant habitation for you, green pastures for you. And if you must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you will, if you must walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear because the shepherd is still there. That rod and that staff will guide you beyond the last of all your days. We're never alone 
Jesus says it. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know their names and I'll never forget. They are mine and I will die for them if need be. And it might be. Craig Barnes, president of Princeton Seminary, says, I don't like to think of myself as one of the Lord's sheep. I like to think of myself as the Lord's eagle or the Lord's tiger. Sheep are dumb. They keep getting lost. I'm not lost. But then Dr. Barnes answers his own vexation with David's and Jesus' metaphor. He says, actually, maybe I am lost. Maybe we're all lost. Maybe you lost your way in a relationship that brought more hurt than love or in a job that leaves you spent and depleted or in the guilt of not being good enough, pretty enough, or smart enough for someone whose judgment cuts deep. Some of us have gotten lost in our battles against declining health. Others are lost in grief. And how many of us are just simply lost in our shame for things done and things left undone? And so if you are lost and alone, and I think most of us are at least some of the time, if you're lost and alone, would it help to know that there is someone who's looking for you and that one knows your name? We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It is inescapable. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of contagion. But God is on our side and opposed to that virus. And even if it takes us in the end, what lies waiting for us on the other side? We find that God has spread a lavish table for us a table that is groaning with the burden of its plenty. And our cups are overflowing with the elixir of gladness. It is the chalice of mirth, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.